Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Wrapping up the week here on the Dunked On Basketball NBA podcast with a player who has been talked about as a riser of late by Draft Express, uh, Mo Bamba. They moved him up to number three on their top 100, which is not their mock draft, but that's kind of their board, essentially. And any discussion of him, of course, is going to start with his physical profile out of Texas and Harlem before that. Biggest swing span ever recorded at the Combine. 7'10", has a 9'7.5 standing reach. Those are Rudy Gobert type of numbers, maybe even a little bit bigger than Gobert. Stands 6'10", though, not 7'2", the way Gobert does. And uh, where do you want to start with him? I mean, I I think we we should probably, unlike a lot of these prospects, maybe start with the defensive end of the floor. Yeah, I definitely think that we should. And so... I had seen a little bit of Bamba in person back at Adidas Nations. And was he at the summit in 17? Yes, he was. I can't remember. It was. Okay. So I've seen him twice in person. And you have this kind of question because he, you know, with his measurements, they're so unusual. And I didn't get to see Gobert at the same age. I was obsessed with watching film of him back when he was at Chalet. But there's a little bit of a difference there. And so one of my early notes with Bamba was that defensively, he reminded me more of Miles Turner than Rudy Gobert. And what I mean by that is there are a couple of different ways that a player can use length. And with Turner, in the early part when I was watching him, and I'd completely forgotten that Turner also went to Texas. It was different coaching staffs, a whole bunch of different. But actually, I think Shaka wasn't there yet. I'm not sure. But what I meant by that was that Turner, on a possession-by-possession basis, did not use his length as much. It was more catching guys, and like especially with the rebounding element of it. Eventually, I kind of turned a little bit that Bamba was better than that. But the Gobert part of this, to me, is overstated because of how unusual Gobert's combination of strength. Yeah, and obviously, when you're comparing 25-year-old Rudy Gobert to a 19, almost 20-year-old kid in Bamba, yeah, he actually just turned 20, May 12th, 1998. That's a little bit of an unfair comparison. But uh, one of the big differences uh, that I see, and I think there are a number of them, is in terms of recognition. You know, I, I don't think that, and we talked about Wendell Carter yesterday, and I thought that Carter had was pretty good as far as pre-rotating, anticipating, you know, moving over to cut off drives before they happen. Now, Bamba, because he has this prodigious length, he doesn't necessarily have to show his body that early. But, you know, he didn't really have anything in the way of verticality plays where he's getting his body in front of guys. And few bigs do at a young age. So it's something that I thought set apart Carter a little bit. So he, he's not, and he'll get some intimidations to be sure when he's at his best. And I think, you know, that's sort of the other thing that, struck me about him on both ends really is and the number of just crazy wow plays that he has you know, you'll see some of the things he does and then you're like man like how can i not love this guy like if this guy becomes this dominating player in the nba i'm gonna feel like such a fool that i didn't see this from him that i didn't believe that he was gonna be that player but uh, my feeling was i just didn't see those plays quite often enough from him even on the defensive end and would you agree with that as well yeah it depends a little bit on on what you see like I thought that in the Kansas game he had a few more of those like there were there were two in sequence that I thought were just either the type of play yeah. that almost nobody you're, even in the you're NBA talking about can the, make. the so Kansas one, game at home December 29th the, yeah the Kansas game December yeah. 29th so Mbamba had two plays I think they were both in about the five minute span that were just you're just sitting there going okay that's that's a little bit ridiculous so there's one where a guy he wasn't guarding shot a runner from the free throw line and Bamba didn't move until he let go of the ball 
and he still blocked it, and it was a clean block. I actually had to rewind it and slow-mo it just to make sure it wasn't a goaltend that was missed because college refs suck. But it was a genuine block. And then later on, he had a play where Bomba was being posted up by this dude and kind of was getting around the post up. And then the, uh, the guy with the ball came into the lane, and Bomba was effectively able to block the shot without really ever leaving his guy. And just from a physical distance standpoint, that doesn't really seem possible. But what I think you're getting at is a very interesting point with Bamba, which is is something that I ended up being right on with Gobert, but it was kind of a leap of faith with him, which was the idea of how much better he was going to have to get. Now with Gobert, I thought he had more tools at that same age than Bamba does, but you can see the path. Like for me, the, the ceiling arguments with Bamba are all, I see all of that. I see it there, but you get into this case that that sometimes happens, and it was it was a problem for me early on as a draft analyst, and I'm by no means perfect. But the idea of what a guy can be necessarily being what they are or being something definite, like they're the best case scenarios for Bamba, I, I absolutely see those, but I see them more as like eighty five percent, ninety percent and above outcomes, and. You can certainly consider that when drafting a player. I absolutely would. But that is very different from saying, oh, he's going to figure all these other things out. When if he doesn't, that value is muted, kind of like how it is for Miles Turner. Yeah, so we'll talk about it much more about that. Uh, the spectacular goods, some of the more uh, average moments that he had as well. Right after this from Sonos, they are now offering, and you better act soon here because this ends uh, on Father's Day, a code for 15% off. That's an unprecedented discount from what they've had before usually it's uh, our code is 10 percent. it's actually not a code you what you do is you go to fathersday.sonos.com and you can create a custom spotify playlist to send to your dad you select your favorite artists uh, and the year that you're born then you do the same for your dad so uh dad you know enya man i'm steamroller nana Mascori. God, I, I hope you guys don't actually know who any of those are <laughs> who we're subjected to as children. But nonetheless, Dad, if there's a, some kind of an overlap between those and uh, what I listen to, I'm sure that Spotify is going to find it. So the way, again, to get that 15% off discount, fathersday.sonos.com, and Spotify will generate that perfect playlist to bridge the generation gap. I'm being a little too hard on my dad. He definitely, you know, he introduced us to like some good classic rock stuff too. So I'm, I'm not being a little bit facetious here. And just for Sonos as well, I just really have been impressed by it. We've got their play bar. We've got their sub that's hooked up to the TV. It was set up with their up and running service that has a trained expert deliver and set up your system for free. That really has made our home theater viewing. We've been watching a lot of movies lately with the basketball season over at night. And I've really been looking forward to that. I watched The Expanse last night. That was pretty good to watch with the home theater. And then we got the Sonos One as well, where you can control music with your voice. Your guests can come over. They can use the Sonos app to play stuff on, on your music from their own phones. So once again, the way to get that 15% off, fathersday.sonos.com to create your playlist and get that 15% off. Playlist generator expires June 17th and terms and conditions apply. So let's get into a few more of the basics here on the defense for Bamba. I thought it was interesting that Texas was only 52nd in the nation in defense. Again, you would think that, and I, I haven't been able to dig into like the on-off stuff with him, but you know he played plenty of minutes. So you would hope, you know, 52nd in the nation, is uh, it's not amazing, right? You would hope that, hey, this guy is so good that he's just making it impossible to score on. Well, you know, he, he's not there yet, right? I mean, so much of drafting him is based on potential. I think that's a number that reflects that to some degree. If you want to contrast that, to Michigan State, who, you know, obviously Tom Izzo is a great coach and they have other personnel there, but they're 11th in the nation uh, with Jaron Jackson Jr., who, again, we're, we're going to get to next week. Uh, much of what's been talked about for him, uh, of course, is the rim protection. 13.1% two-point block rate, averaged 7.3 blocks per 100 possessions. That's obviously a very high number. Uh, that ranks about 10th among draft prospects since 2009-10, so Jaron Jackson, I think at the highest of pretty much anyone with 14.3% this year. This is again, two-point block rate. Anthony Davis was 13.7. Gorgie Jang, 13.7. Jeff Withy, 13.7. Other guys who are in that area that were higher than him. Jarvis Bernardo, Bernard James, Rashawn Holmes, AJ Hammond. So that's not, having that high of a block rate doesn't necessarily make you an unbelievable prospect, but it certainly helps. Uh, and so do you want to comment a little bit on what you've seen from him as a rim protector? So he's a different kind of guy than Wendell Carter, who we just did. Uh, it's it's funny to, to 
analyze those two players back to back because they're so different. But Carter was more about being in the right spot. And, you know, when he was when he was positioned, whether it was on a post up or in help in the help context, he would do a good job. Bamba, a lot of his blocks come when he's not necessarily in the right place. It's just him overcoming that. So there were plays like where a guard would drive and and pretty much get past him. And then he would get a recovery block. Again, very similar to Miles Turner. And then there were times where he was in the right position and just just annihilated. There was one play where he was in, I think it was an ISO against Kansas State. And the guy like tried to get past him and just had nothing. And Bombo like, basically could have blocked it with his elbow. So I think that he he has this interesting element as a shot blocker where I could see him actually you know growing a lot more than somebody like Wendell Carter because I think he has the physical and mental capability of being in the right place substantially more often than he has been so far so that actually makes me feel a little bit better but I don't think Shaka Smart as as I understand it doesn't have like a bad reputation as a a defensive coach they weren't running a ton of just garbage out there for for a lot of time though they did do some press stuff which can work in college but absolutely does not work in the pros so I don't I, I see that block rate as being you know, being a reasonable approximation of what he does. But I think that you brought up those examples, like Jarvis Vernado is an interesting one. Like I thought that would translate a lot better for him. He has, from what I recall, been a good shot blocker. It's just that it hasn't been the NBA because everything else wasn't really there. Whereas like Jang, I think it's helped Gorgie Jang a lot, but it hasn't made him a good player. One of the things that I thought was just, it didn't really seem like he contested that many shots. I didn't see him force that many misses. Oh, along yeah. those lines. Like on all correctable mistakes when he, his contests aren't good. Like he, he doesn't, he did a lot of times where he, where he could have had a good contest. If all he did was just trust his size and his positioning, he would be there, but he would reach a little bit or he would go over a little bit or something like that. And so I'm, I'm kind of conflicted on that. I don't know if you were too, where there were a lot of plays where it felt like he could have been there and wasn't. And so the optimist is going to go, Oh, a good coach, you know, system looking at film, he can get better with that. But a pessimist is going to go, well, I mean, he could have been doing that this whole time. Yeah, I mean, given what his reputation was and the tools, I mean, I would say that I was a little bit disappointed overall with just with his overall impact. And again, because of those tools and another thing that sticks out too is like the amount of ground that he can cover in one or two steps. You know, if he's at the free throw line and someone drives, he can take one step and get there and block the shot. You know, if he does decide to move or if he recognizes it early enough. So you know, again, I mean, when it looks good for him, I mean, you mentioned that one crazy block. I noticed that one too. You know, if you watch like his highlight reel of his best plays, which you'll see a lot of in uh, his Draft Express video, now ESPN, I guess, you'd be like, wow, you know, this is unbelievable. There's just, But it just doesn't quite happen often enough. I didn't think, you know, again, there weren't the plays where it's like he's moving to clean up trouble and just prevent penetration at all right like he's not just pre-rotating sensing that something is going on getting into guys vision so they just never even break the paint to begin with uh, some of the plays that you'll see uh, someone like gobert or the best nba help defenders make you know the recognition not there at this stage can that be improved to some degree although i still think that you know usually the recognition is something that a, a lot of that is kind of inherent now clint capella is someone who's been able to improve that and he's been helped a lot by the fact that they've gone to a scheme where they just switch and he doesn't have to play you know conventional help defense quite as much you know conventional pick and roll defense quite as much um the next thing that really has been talked about and i think again is a little bit overrated at this point is his switchability i would actually say that his feet are being significantly overrated by some other analysts that that i don't agree with and and hopefully we'll have a chance to have mike schmitz on again this year and he and i can talk about that because he's been one of the who said that he envisions him as a very switchable defender so 30 iso possessions gave up 20 points that's a a totally good number Uh, but you know i don't think he has the greatest fluidity sliding his feet again i think you know if he's like he looks good kind of getting into a stance but it just he doesn't really react that quickly uh the change of direction doesn't really seem to be there now the short area quickness like we've seen this with miles turner as well right i'm glad you came out that comparison that's a really good one to me where all right he can come out of nowhere and block a shot if he realizes it and he's engaged but there are a few games like the in the nevada game in the tournament for example they're playing a two three zone so they throw it to like some combo forward just beyond the free throw line and those guys were able to face up and get pretty good shots against him when he was the center in his zone i think like guys on the perimeter you know guys are able to take a dribble get his hands down and shoot over him 
and while the numbers were okay there just weren't that many plays where it was like oh he's just making this guy look awful you know like what is this guy even thinking trying to attack him there's two or three you know where he's really would just block the guy's shot or just force him into a really tough look but i thought generally guys were able to get decent looks and again these are pretty limited college players most of these guys um so maybe it was just that he's trying to avoid fouls you know maybe he can improve maybe he'll get quicker but at this point in time i don't see him as an elite guy moving his feet as a switch defender despite the length that he has you know i'd say he's mobile for his size and his length you know he's not slow he's got pretty good mobility running the floor but i i don't see him as an elite moving his feet switch kind of guy at this point in time not to say that he can't improve that but you know again we're talking about right now i don't quite i think a point that bears emphasizing here is just how high the threshold is for being a switchable defender that's really really tall like it's ludicrously hard with how active and talented physically talented nba guards are at this point you know this isn't switching onto a guy who's just going to iso and shoot a 20 footer these are players who are capable drivers a lot of them are capable pull-up shooters and how a way that i knew bomba at this point in his career what i didn't was wasn't going to love his iso as much as some other people did even though i do i think i am a little bit higher on it than you i'm just not a lot higher on it than you was the way that he gave himself so much distance not when he was necessarily closing out but in his initial defense on a a guy there was a play against Devontae graham in, in i can't remember i think it was a different kansas game actually i think it was the game at kansas where graham took a three that was a little bit too far out but bomba was giving himself like two steps of makeup space basically so he was basically playing off of graham and Devonte graham is you know talented guy successful college player but he is not like damian lillard or even bradley beal you know like so beal's kind of a secondary creator but still physically talented and to me when a player does that what that means is i can't be up at the ball because if they can be up there they will be and some guys are overly ambitious they think that they can do that and they can't and they can get burned in that way that happens all the time but I when I read Bamba and this I, I saw this early on and then just kept on making notes of it. He kept on giving guys too much space. And generally speaking, for me, when a guy does that, it's because they don't think they can be closer. Yeah, and if you want to see a little bit more film of this, a, a good piece on the Stepian, which I saw after I had done my my evaluation, but I, I started doing a little bit of reading about Bamba afterwards, and it's a, a, by a guy named uh, Jay Z Maslish on the Stepian, and came out a couple months ago. I'd recommend looking at that. He's got some good film examples. He and I are largely of the same opinion of Bamba's switchability, at least at this point in time. Another thing that was a little bit of a disappointment for me was his post defense. Now, he is thin right now, weighing in at 226 at the combine. But, I mean, we've seen plenty of guys be that size, that, and he's going to get stronger. You know, he'll probably settle in around like 235, 240 in his nba career he does have a, a relatively thin body type though i don't see him getting to be quite he could still remain someone who can be overpowered by some of the biggest centers but that's not that big of a concern but i had hoped that just with the length that he has and we saw it one time it was, it was i think it was yudoko Azubuke who had, he had that crazy block on in the kansas game but generally i thought guys were able to get pretty good shots against him in the post again i mean he really he wasn't really that much of a deterrent he wasn't you would think with that kind of wingspan that guys are just not prepared for it he's just going to make guys look bad and that really wasn't the case a, a lot of the time he got not backward pretty easily okay that's something he can get better at but you don't see him just like swallowing guys up his timing when he's on ball was not amazing i thought you know the numbers were pretty average in terms of his post defense again i don't look at that as much same thing with the switching as i do just kind of the quality of looks that guys were able to get against him and i thought they were able to get pretty decent looks to get to hook shots uh you know they weren't just like knocking him under the basket and just totally out of the play but he wasn't really able to affect a, a lot of these shots and again you would just hope that on ball in terms of his timing with the length that he has that he could really just be swallowing guys up in that situation you know some six nine college post player but uh, that wasn't quite the case for me and i'm not like oh man his post defense is is average so you know he's not gonna be able to be successful you know that's not what i'm saying it's just another indicator that you know maybe his timing is just not that amazing 
on shop blocks necessarily. So I have kind of have two minds to this because one thing I haven't mentioned about Bomba so far, and this again, it gets into the idea of the expectations game, which I try to minimize, but there are times when you can't. I expected considering how thin he is for him to to battle a little bit less. And I thought that his like kind of early, you know, the little movements we've talked about with some of the other centers, that was better than I expected. Granted, I had super low expectations because yeah. of you, that. You don't see him but, get beasted. But, but that's different. You, you know what I mean? And I thought on yeah. offense, so that's too, good. He, he tries to get decent. Right. Yeah, he tries to get in position. But the problem is that against the, like, we, again, the step up in NBA centers is that even if they don't get early position, I think they can get late position on Bamba. And so that's concerning. That doesn't bother me nearly as much as some of the switch stuff and closeouts, which I want to talk a little bit about later, because that's not where the game is going. You know, there w- sure, he will have trouble when Joel Embiid posts him up, or he will have trouble when Nurkic or some, some of those other guys. Yeah, sure, he, he will. But those guys are generally getting phased out of the game. And I don't think that when, you know, in switch in, in switch circumstances, like I don't think smaller guys are going to be able to catch him. So I also do think, and he gets a lot of shot changes, which is great. That's something you would expect from somebody as long as Mo Bamba, just like Rudy Gobert does. But I also think that a lot of that came from novelty because he's just so unusual that the the players can do that. And while Bamba is, is even going to be unusual by NBA standards, the margin of specialness is going to be very different and so you know playing him it's not going to be that different from Gobert and guys can get into a comfort zone I think they can get into better position against Bamba so I think some of that will wear off a little bit granted it's coming from a place where where he was getting a lot there but I think that the talent upgrade and the physical upgrade will be a big challenge for him defensively broadly speaking yeah I, I thought to me I mean maybe this isn't contrary to what you were saying but I felt that he didn't quite contest it enough shots and then uh on the defensive glass 28 percent defensive rebounds uh, stats are totally fine there as well but i didn't really see him as like a dominating defensive rebounder either you know just crazy rebounds out of his area i mean he got the ones that came to him Uh, sometimes he wouldn't jump that much if he had a body on him he had trouble shedding a body or getting a great box out but uh so I, I don't think that he is like a bad defensive rebounder, but I don't see him as like an absolutely dominating defensive rebounder again at, at this point in time. And so that's that's obviously with these physical tools. I mean, when sometimes I've been underwhelmed by guys who, who have great length like he does, and then they've put it all together in the pros and I've looked bad for not being high enough on them. But I he's, to me, I didn't think he was like an unbelievably dominating defensive player at the college level right now and that's what you would hope to have from a guy with these physical tools and so there's going to need to be a lot of development here and how much of the gap between where he is now and being a dominant defender in the nba is actually improvable you know the recognition he is a really smart kid a really well-spoken kid does that necessarily mean that you know i think he's going to work hard by all accounts does that necessarily mean that he is going to be able to pick things up you know i don't know he's going to work at it I'm not sure if he actually is going to get there or not in terms of his recognition miles turner is another guy who's a great great kid really well spoken but has not really quite been able to get there yet maybe he will at some point in the future and to be clear i think he's better you know sliding his feet on the perimeter than miles turner but it, there's just a, a lot of a lot of things that need to be improved and whether it's the feet whether it's the timing on shot blocks, whether it's that recognition, just getting over to help earlier, using verticality, anticipating plays, getting stronger, getting a little bit quicker. It's a lot of things that have to get better for him to be the dominating defensive player. And if he's not an absolutely dominating defensive player, if we're not talking about a defensive player of the year candidate, then taking him in the top five is probably not worn. Especially not in a class that has so many interesting yes. guys. Like if I if I had been lower on some of the other players, then I think I would have Bamba in a little bit of a different place. But so I want to mention talk a little bit about the closeouts. And what was surprising with Bamba, and this happens every once in a while with a, a, a long center, is it surprised me how when he wasn't in exactly the right place, I actually talked about this with Lando Carter too, it didn't seem like he was affecting shots enough. You know, like that the late closeouts and anything like that, and that might just be getting better at the mechanics of moving and getting your hands up and all of that. But like if he wasn't right on the dude, and when he was right on the dude, you know, that guy wasn't getting a shot. Like there, there were plays like that where a guy thought he had it and just, just got annihilated. But outside of those plays... He wasn't getting as much there. And so I one of the stats on that is that Synergy has him, you know, opponents didn't shoot well on spot ups. But a lot of that to me was guys missing shots that weren't, you know, that that 
could have easily gone in as opposed to being him swallowing it up. You know, the swallowing up was like maybe a third of that. And then the other two thirds was just make or miss league type stuff more, more than anything else. And I'm sure there's some intimidation just seeing a dude like that come at you. But that was another note for me was like, okay, you know, that another thing that he doesn't really have at that level. And it's not mandatory, you know, that there are great defenders that aren't great closeout guys, but it's kind of another thing that he could get a lot better at. And Again, it weighs in the same way. So I feel like I want to bring up something which is, is going to be interesting because you and I have been more negative at this point. And I think this will set up the offense in, in a way. I still have Bamba over Wendell Carter. Yeah, I probably would too, just because I, I actually think it's more likely if you had to say, what is the median outcome for these guys, that Carter will be better. But just the upside from Bamba is just too much to ignore. And the second part of that upside that's being talked about right now is his shooting and draft express got into a workout with them they're reporting that his shooting is very significantly improved he noted in an interview that he's knocked about two tenths of a second off his release speed from about 0.9 to 0.7 seconds in an interview with draft express so you know this is one of those things now we've heard some guys who've been talked about as wow it's just amazing how much they've improved their shooting in the pre-draft process and, and it's really come out to be true right there are other guys who were talked about like this, like a Willie Cauley Stein or a Cody Zeller. Now they weren't taking threes, you know, the, the way that Bamba was. NBA threes were, you know, he supposedly is hitting them at a really nice clip right now with this new form. I, I'm just, I'm not quite sure how to evaluate that. You know, I'll give him a little bit credit of credit there for you know, the fact that he's apparently improved that. You know, we we don't have access to. A full workout we don't know like you know i'm sure they're logging every shot that he takes when he's working out with drew hanlon we don't have access to that either you know that's something that might give us a little bit better of an idea the form still looks a little odd he for some reason like jumps way to the left every time he shoots it and you know he kind of gets his elbow under the ball a little bit and, and i think you know likes to shoot it from a little bit to the right side of his head and maybe that's kind of part of why he does that but you know, I can't really remember an effective shooter who just like jumped to the side like that either. So, but I'm not going to say that the ball can't go in and people who know more about shooting and, and whose opinions I respect seem to believe that it's something that can really take a big leap. But if he's not going to necessarily be pick and pop spacing the floor from three, I'm not particularly enthused about him as an offensive player. Like it's really, a lot of it is going to depend on his ability to hit that three pointer. And you know, I, I just don't quite know what to make of that. I actually liked his mechanics more at the Hoop Summit than I had expected. And I'm happy that he's improving it from there. And the fact that he made 28% from three this year, and he was 68% from the free, free throw line, which is worse than Wendell Carter. I think Carter was like 72%. And, you know, that is a difference to be sure. But when I watched Bamba, he seemed more comfortable to me than I expected, which is a positive sign. You obviously have to actually be good at it. And... I have misgivings with his offense too. I mean, he is a very limited post-up guy. Really, his post-up offense is, I can release the ball higher than you. And I didn't love his touch. But I also think, broadly speaking, that as long as he actually takes the care to set screens and fights for position on the offensive glass and then works hard to get back when he doesn't get the rebound, that the, let's, I like using Carter as a comparison here, that the additional skill that Carter brings to the table is not necessarily that valuable. It helps to be yeah. sure, but I don't think it helps that much. You know, Carter's a way better passer. Great. The two times a game that you give Carter a post up, he will make well, a better decision on one of those. I think you're understanding that because of like being able to make decisions in like the DHO game and find guys going back door. Like that's, yeah, sure. that's important. It'll help. I mean, it'll help. But to me, that that doesn't like make Carter a game breaker or anything. It, it's a it's a value added, but it's not. It doesn't make him a fundamentally different player. Like I don't. That's to me. I guess maybe that's the me not buying Carter all the way as a full Horford yeah. because Horford just has it proven over such a long sure. period of time. Like an eighty percent Horford offensively. It helps, but it's not as, as big a deal. Also with Bamba, again, on the value added, but not sure how, how much added. He he is pretty comfortable with his dribble, but I don't really know what he's going to do with it. You know, like he could do that, like two dribbles and, you know, try to pull up or like, you know, that, yeah. that sort of a thing. He doesn't have the escape, the escape dribble out of a double that I think it was Bagley. I can't remember if that was Bagley or Carter that I talked about on one of the podcasts and really liked. I didn't see that from Bamba. He also wasn't being doubled that often because it wasn't really a point, but he just and he can maybe he can grab and go a little bit it, it he reminds me in the grab and go game a lot like Joel Embiid where it seems like he likes to do it 
but that it doesn't really provide much of an advantage because in order to do that, you have to work really hard and you have to be faster with the ball in your hands. Otherwise, just give it to somebody who's faster. Like that's the difference between Ben Simmons, Draymond Green, and Embiid and Bamba is is whether you're creating an advantage by that pressure. And so maybe that bodes well just for his skill development and that he can do better. But I don't think there's much at this point that you can build off of that. Yeah, and I, I'm uh, probably even lower on that. I mean, the future, like he'll he'll have some just kind of perplexing plays. You know, in the Duke game, he just like tried to dribble up court and just turned it over. I mean, I don't think he even can grab and go at all. I, I, I wouldn't see that as something that you would ever want him doing at the NBA level. I think if he's, you know, as a spot up shooter, if he is making the three, if he has to put the ball on the floor and get all the way to the rim and make a decision, I, I don't foresee him being particularly good at that. And I think uh you know you mentioned the passing he only had 15 assists on the year and he was getting plenty of post-ups didn't really seem to have great recognition of double teams i thought he was like pretty robotic on that i mean so, and, and he just wanted to make some dumb plays like he like just like stepped over the end line once uh, on an inbound just you know didn't uh, again a, a smart guy but there was in interviews and stuff but didn't appear to have the greatest passable IQ. i mean he had a few nice passes here and there but uh, overall wasn't great and, and again this situation at texas not a ton of shooters was playing with another traditional big pretty much all the time um the post-up game you mentioned not good i i don't expect him to be a post-up option even against switches i could see him struggling uh, because he, he's not really strong enough to back down had 73 points on 100 post-up possessions which is not good now he can go over either shoulder and he could be on either block but he doesn't really have a go-to move uh you know as you mentioned he will try to duck in he's not afraid of contact but you know he doesn't have a great balance or base he can get knocked off balance very easily he'll go to like a lefty jump hook from way too far out which is like one of my least favorite shots in basketball um generally the game seems pretty premeditated like he likes to turn and face take one dribble to his right spin back left you know he, he would do that a lot um every once in a while he'll have some moments again you know where like one time against tcu he had this beautiful spin move on the baseline and dunked on a guy didn't have a bunch of just like nasty dunks just on people necessarily overall but i i just didn't not really that fluid the touch was not that amazing the hook shot touch was not that amazing i didn't think he was be able to create much separation in the post for good looks there's a certainly a long long way to go there uh, despite the fact that they did look for him fairly often in the post and then in the pick and roll again another one of these guys where his college team just didn't have the spacing to really utilize him as a role man he's uh, as a lob catcher was a little bit disappointing to me as well as a vertical spacer certainly can get up there but you know he's catching passes that are thrown right to the rim for him and certainly he can get up and get those uh, with that huge standing reach but he's not able to you know take off off of two feet catch the ball at the corner of the backboard and dunk it coming in the way you know a clint capella was i i'd put him below there you know probably closer to a rudy gobert type offensively i i would say in terms of his finishing around the rim that was another thing too for me where he could get knocked off balance he would just have some you know just miss some bunnies sometimes um you know so certainly can finish some lobs but not just like absolutely a destructive type of lob finisher you know the way even like a bagley would have been uh, for example and he also brings the ball down a lot you know he's not able to kind of catch it keep the ball above his shoulders and go back up with any kind of fluidity at least at this point in time maybe that's something he could improve but he really has to gather himself to get up for a dunk under the rim you know in comparison to say deandre ayton who you know could kind of catch it and smoothly go up for a dunk without having to bring the ball down to his waist gathering and go back up so i think he's as a finisher will be fine but not just like the guy who you're like oh man we are just like we can't stop this guy we got to just stick right to him in the pick and roll the way you would with you know a clint capella deandre jordan type of guy i was just thinking about something from back in the day i'm trying to remember who i was talking with on real jam radio and i said jaleel okafor reminded me of marcus ol on offense and al jefferson on defense oh it was with adi joseph my former editor of the sport news and he said don't you want that the other way and I'm like, well, yeah, kind of. And I think with Bamba, it's kind of like he reminds me a little bit of Rudy Gobert on offense and Miles Turner on defense. And you would want that the other way. But it's still a pretty good player. It's just not as good a player. Last thing we should talk about the offensive rebounding 12% offensive rebounds, which again is solid, not like a crazy number. A, a lot of those are off his own well, misses. Quick, quick yeah. point on that off his own misses. And also, unlike Bagley and Wendell Carter, 
the other big man he often played with was Osikowski, who was hanging out in other places and wasn't really vacuuming those up. So he was he was getting a larger portion of the available rebounds than some of his contemporaries. Yeah, and also the offensive rebounding isn't quite as much you know, that uh, the type of thing where you're taking away offensive rebounds from your teammate the way it is on the defensive glass. Sure. You know, it's a little bit less of kind of a zero sum game there. You know, you can still be additive even if you're next to another good offensive rebounding player if you're both going for it. Um, but yeah, so 12% offensive rebounds is solid. Off his own miss, I thought he did a nice job, at least when he would kind of miss those bunnies of going right after it again and going right back up. Uh, when he would get the offensive rebound, though, he struggled again to catch and go up immediately. You'd have to bring the ball down. You'd see him get stripped. You'd see him get knocked off balance a little bit. And that's something I think he could really improve with time. And he's got such a huge standing reach that, you know, he could realize that if he just keeps the ball above his shoulders and goes back up, even if he's not going to be able to jump real high, that he can still just you know, be effective there. What, what, yeah. Oh, I have something else I, w- I want to talk about just briefly. So like a lot of these guys, just the non-reflective nature of college basketball versus NBA, Bamba had 24 pick and pops, about a 0.7 point per possession, which is not great. And 15 finishes on rolls to the basket and a 1.07, which sounds a lot better, but those are way more effective shots. And that was yeah. actually, you know, a, a low percentile as well. Yeah. And, you know, if he's making the catch at the free throw line, on the move going towards the rim you know he did have one just absolutely monster dunk off of one foot but you know he's not the type of athlete who is just gonna like jump over dudes and like destroy them with dunks a lot of times when, when he's on the move attacking the rim um so yeah i, I anything else you want to say about him i mean i think his hands are okay i guess that's the other thing you know not unbelievable but solid enough you know he wasn't just like flubbing catches yeah yeah, that wasn't the reason his catch radius was lower than I expected, but I certainly think it could have helped, you know, like, and I think some of it might have also just been because he's so thin, like his, his comfort in his positioning, you know, like those plays where if he, he, he should know that if I jump here and I catch it, I'm going to be able, nobody's going to stop me. And maybe that'll come with time, but it's, it's weird, like as an alley-oop finisher that he didn't have more dominance. And also I want to blame Texas's guards. I thought that they had other gifts, but they were generally shitty passers to him both as entry passes and alley-oops and that isn't the reason Bamba wasn't super successful in those things but it would have helped yeah and his usage rate for talking about a guy who's getting drafted this high his scoring rate is definitely very low for a guy you're talking about as a top five pick so uh, we haven't seen Jaron Jackson yet that's really the one guy still remaining that's being talked about in this top tier that we still have to do but among the guys that we've looked at i think i would probably have bomba you know more in kind of the seven eight reign to me than i would being certainly not number three and, and you know whether i would want to go him or bagley i think i probably would go bagley still you know again i'll have to think about that a little bit more so maybe i should stop talking before i've actually really thought about it um anything else on him or should we uh move on to the dallas maverick with a read first no that's good i yeah i had a couple of that are like kind of small notes like i like that he went after one of his own misses from the free throw line yeah. and got and would have gotten the tip in but the shot went in like that that's sort of like he does a lot of those micro effort plays which you wouldn't expect necessarily from him and i like so i I said this before i want to mention it one more time i see the ceiling with him i absolutely do but it's you know maybe that top 10 to 15 percent and so you consider that it is an important factor in it that's why i have him over wendell carter but that isn't the whole game there's a lot more to this and also i mean unless he's at that defensive player of the year standpoint i mean we've talked about this with various bigs over the years i i i see it as a lot easier for him to get on the defensive player of the year teams than an all nba team like he's going to need to be to the nth degree on both ends an improvement to get to that kind of level like to be one of the top three centers in the league yeah i think some of what's been talked about with him is you know if he's engaged his motor i thought his motor was fine actually for you know a freshman big man you know, I didn't think it was necessarily, you know, I didn't see a place where he was just dogging it or, you know, not playing hard or something. I think it was more just a, a question of recognition sometimes than it was just like, you know, not getting back on defense or just like, you know, not being engaged. Like I, I thought he, he, to the extent that he didn't quite fulfill expectations to me, it wasn't because of lack of effort. I would say that. So, I, and I think he is, again, very, seems very concerned with improving good work ethic, all that. So, before we get to the Dallas Mavericks, I want to tell you about PuppySpot.com, which is a service that connects the nation's top breeders to caring, responsible individuals and families. PuppySpot is the way that you can make sure that your puppy came from a responsible breeder. They have really high standards. Only 10% of breeders who apply with PuppySpot 
are approved and they have a no puppy mill promise if over 50 plus different breeds that usually are available usually about 100 plus puppies available at any given time to go home they also have this 10-year health guarantee they have a vet visit prior to coming to your home and then you you get another vet visit after they've arrived within a week and that'll activate that 10-year health guarantee for any, anything that should have been caught beforehand because they have a such a commitment to the humane treatment of all dogs when you find your puppy at puppy spot you work with their puppy concierge to find the right one for you it comes directly from an experienced breeder on the same day that it actually leaves the breeder so it spent its entire life before it arrives in your home or with its breeder and its parents if you go to a pet store the puppy may have made several stops over several weeks before it even arrived in the store you can check out the reviews of puppy spot as well if you have some more questions about their methods as i'm sure that you do the way to get started with them is puppyspot.com slash cap space easy to remember slash cap space because we talk about it all the time on the program and for a limited time, you get access to the Puppy Spot VIP program with discounts on everything you need for your new puppy, from food to walking services. Once again, that's puppyspot.com slash capspace for the special offer, puppyspot.com slash capspace. So let's talk about the Dallas Mavericks right now who are projected by ESPN to be taking the aforementioned Muhammad Bamba. But let's start, as usual, with their cap situation. First of all, let me mention that Puppy Concierge sounds like an amazing job title. So <laughs> I, I don't think I can put it on a, I don't think I can put it on a resume, but I just love that. Uh, so Dallas, the, the big swing guys for them in terms of where they are with space are Dirk and Doug McDermott. If they keep both of those holds, Dallas is sitting at about 11 million in space, which is not well, a ton. Well, you should clarify they, what you mean by hold with Dirk since he's got the, the team option. Yeah, so Dirk has a 5 million team option. So if they pick that up, then he costs 5 million. If they decline that, then yeah, they could renounce. They could do a whole bunch of different. And then if they pick up Dirk's option, keep Dorian Finney-Smith and Seth Curry's holds on the books, but let McDermott go, whether that be at the beginning of free agency or be at the, you know, at the point of need, if somebody comes in that they want, they could get up to about 26 million. So that's, you know, a low end max spot. No, I already said that's seven to nine max spot is, is about where that is. Nope. That's the, that's the zero to six. Um, so I think Dallas is in this place where it's like, okay, they can clear money if they have to or if they want to, but they are not where Chicago is or where Atlanta is, where they just they just have that space and wouldn't have to make any sacrifices to make it work. Yeah, and with Dirk, the reporting seems to indicate that that he's simply going to return next year for that $5 million. He had the, the team option. That certainly would be a boon to the Mavs at, at this point. They also have Nerlens Noel as a free agent doesn't seem like he'll be returning there but they do have the advantage of being able to pay him more with his full bird rights he's unrestricted of course this year after signing that qualifying offer last year his cap hold eight million dollars so if for some reason they wanted to sign him for more than that he would only count for eight million dollars while they use the rest of their cap space does seem like they can probably do better than that and certainly if they were to draft a center such as bomba or Jaron Jackson, you would think that would auger the end of Noel's time there, even if it, you know, if it hasn't already been augured. We'll see what Noel's market is like, though. I mean, maybe they would just want to bring him back and give him a, another go round. Seems unlikely, though. So with that money, you know, they have. Remember, they finished last year with a bunch of space. They actually still have about thirteen million dollars in room before the league year switches over so that's actually something they might look to use at the draft likely in terms of just taking on against some bad salary and mark cuban has said well we're not going to leave our cap space unused but also the point was made that using it could simply mean taking on some more bad money they were of course talked about as a potential demarcus cousin suitor you could see them maybe still making him an offer again if they don't draft a center we'll see on that score but it would likely be a, a much more team-friendly offer to be sure with him of course coming off the Achilles and let's say that we've talked extensively on the other teams I don't think we need to talk too much about like you know what the price would be for taking on bad salary and blah blah it does seem like this team wouldn't necessarily want to take on two years of bad salary you know this could be one that would take on you know more of a Jared Bayless type of contract but let's say they wanted to just get better this year and that were the goal to use that 23 million or whatever it's going to end up being in cap space to get better this season what direction do you think they would go well that's an interesting question i mean because one of the ideas that i had with their space was to go after capella and Jokic on offer sheets and the bed the idea being there kind of like the no fault idea i mentioned with the bulls yesterday which is if you get them great if you don't get them you just have the space to work with but if they're looking to get better 
in the immediate and let's say they're willing to spend on a multi-year contract not saying those guys will get it i think they they would need some sort of a defensive identity more so somebody who's capable defensively at center would be great also somebody at the two through four spots so unfortunately for dallas there aren't really that many switchable guys that are really fitting it sure they could pay a reason if they wanted to but he doesn't really make sense with their timeline so i toyed with the idea of like kcp or avery bradley there especially if dennis smith isn't great on ball you could throw those guys on sometimes and make do with dennis smith guarding twos and then you know you could bounce it around a little bit so that's one option would be to go for somebody in that mold maybe they could consider being a bidder for aaron gordon because gordon you know defensively he could be a switchable guy gordon and barnes as a front court combination like as a three four combination would actually be kind of interesting to me i don't love it but there's certainly some value there so i would kind of think about that and then the center spot it just depends on on where they are fortunately for dallas getting a center who is like kind of a lower price version who can defend a little bit and rim run like a better Dwight Powell, like Deadman, I think could be a monster at that role in Carlisle's system, do a nice job. And if they wanted to go for more of a switchy guy, I think, you know, they could get some value added from Kavon Looney or Von Lay, somebody like that. Yeah. I and mean, they still have Dwight Powell who had a nice year last year uh, as a guy who can play more as a, a small ball center. And the real question is, you know, kind of should they be going for it to try and get better? I think, you know, like we talked about with the Bulls, just because the Mavs have the coaching that they do, they also are a lot closer to being decent. They were just so unlucky in the clutch last year. I mean, they really had the point differential of a team, you know, that was almost mid-30s in wins. So I don't think, especially given where the Western Conference is right now, that, you know, they're going to be ready to make the playoffs next year. And but I don't think that they're really going to be able to be bad enough, you know, unless they moved like a Harrison Barnes or something like that to get into the top lottery mix. Now with the new lottery rules, maybe they don't have to be. Maybe it's worth kind of staying around that range. You know, it's not as bad to be a thirty-win team now as it was in the past. But I still don't think that it really would make a ton of sense for where they are right now. And we'll see who they get in the draft too, and how good that guy even you know ends up looking. But it does seem like they are still quite far away here in this rebuild they have the nice piece in dennis smith and so who it's going to end up being next to him you know they really got to nail this draft pick that's the biggest thing about this offseason we mentioned bomba i probably wouldn't want to necessarily go there with number five you know they can't really i shouldn't say they can't but you know i wouldn't go with trey young obviously because they have smith already that ricardo likes his two point guards but that's that would be a little much and that would be a pretty horrendous defensive backcourt as well you know maybe they would think about a michael porter there wendell carter i don't think quite has the upside of someone you'd want to look at right there so i I think it's really just so much of how the draft ends up playing out and michael porter interestingly enough had some news today we can kind of work this in john gavoni shamsharania had a piece talking about porter he did have a pro day in which he described himself as 50 percent on june 8th but that went pretty well and so that's part of why he's being talked about is moving up draft boards i think he's mocked at number seven of the bulls but there's this idea that he's not going to drop past seven now he it was said that he basically spent the first month after his season ended doing nothing but rehab he had suffered significant weakness particularly in his left leg which you could see when he tried would try and go up for a one-legged dunk he just had to go for a layup uh, when he was playing those last two games with missouri and then he was starting to get stronger he shot the ball extremely well at this workout on june 8th and then was supposed to have if not another workout at least get evaluated by a number of teams physicians on friday tomorrow but then that he's had like such bad back spasms the last few days that he hasn't been able to get out of bed. Uh, he's had some hip tightness, which is what that back issue was initially reported as at Missouri. And so the hope is that he can still at least, you know, meet with teams and do the medical tomorrow that it's getting better. But, you know, the back spasms is not a great sign, nor was the fact that he still only felt 50%. I mean, that's, you know, when did he have that surgery? Like November? you know early december so he's only feeling 50 percent even on june 8th so that's uh not the greatest news i'm not not doesn't preclude him obviously from uh, being healthy and the fact that he shot the ball in that workout is nice but uh you know not he's he's not you know 100 percent full bore right now which is kind of what we were hoping that we might hear about him but that said maybe dallas could just draft him at number five anyway who knows uh, that might still i mean i i don't know what his medical said the, the one thing is that you know the mri is clean he's supposed to be relatively healthy at this point uh at least just structurally 
but yeah i mean that might still be my pick if i were dallas at five depending on who else is left on the board and obviously having not evaluated jackson yet. yeah especially one of the things we haven't talked about yet with dallas which i think is uh, just a massive question that they need to think about is who is a part of their future because harrison barnes you know is certainly a part of their immediate future he has this you know 2018 19 he's under contract then he has a player option for 25 million for 1920 but I think the Mavs are looking more their future, probably more in the three to four year range, yeah. thinking about that. So Barnes could or could not be in that mix. Wes Matthews will be expired by then. Dirk will be retired by then. So I think it's wise to other than Smith, and, and maybe they're even at the point with Smith where, you know, they they hope that he's a key part of it, but it's not essential. I still wouldn't tra- take Trey Young unless you see him as way better than a lot of the other guys around there. But so how that how the everybody else fits in and that's actually why i wouldn't spend on some of the other inferior players in the mix is just because you don't know what the player's fitting with like julius randall julius randall connections to the area obviously but randall makes sense on a certain kind of team and dallas there is no credible way for them to say he's going to fit in with where we're going because they have no idea where the hell they're going yeah and, and as sad as it is to say this you know and, and dirk Nowitzki featured prominently on the no defense team piece that i wrote on the athletic with dirk still playing this big of a role it's really hard to be that good you know he's just not at that point anymore i mean he can still shoot the ball obviously he's had one of his better seasons from three-point range last year but just defensively it's just so hard to build any kind of a defense around where he's at right now try it though he might you know you could see them kind of going back to the philosophy that characterized some of those years you know like 2013 through 2015 where they were just trying to sign guys on short-term deals and keep their space open but it kind of does make more sense to me for them to continue the rebuild continue the asset generation the the idea that like all right you know we have to continue trying to compete with Dirk I think that's you know he's not good enough anymore that they need to continue doing that any longer you know because he's just not at the level where he's a championship caliber player any longer so you know I, I think not only we're talking about the cap space here but Barnes you mentioned I mean it seems just yesterday that he signed but he's got a player option which is, that'll actually be an interesting one that 25 million for next year uh, of whether he wants to opt in or not you know I think it'll be what like 27 28 but he's a guy who still I think can really help a good team with his switchability with his ability to shoot the threes worked on his iso game he's able to beat switches now as well he does have an eight percent trade bonus but that, i don't think that'll preclude anything but in barnes and west matthews who does expire at the end of next year they have two modern players who i think could really help teams and so this is the construction you've talked about so often of trading one or both of those guys to take on some salary of worse players and then you pick up the asset as well now barnes did want to come there as a free agent he's part of their culture you know i wouldn't see them trading him necessarily but i think you know if he's going to have exorbitant salary demands next summer i might be considering moving him um he's not eligible for an extension yet is he barnes actually he is because it's uh the second anniversary is is the timeline yeah. for three and four year contracts yeah so, so he, will, he be. will be extension yeah so maybe maybe yeah. what you would do if you're dallas is you say you know and try to engage him in extension talks and if you're not able to get anywhere then maybe you might think about moving him and moving him in exchange for some bad salary i mean like you know barnes is a guy who might really be able to help say the wizards or something like that right like the, if you take on you know mahid me and or the magic the, yeah or, i mean if the magic are trying to get better which i don't know if they are but, and also if they don't re-sign gordon but but yeah i mean there are a lot of teams i mean the blazers another one right where harrison barnes could really help the the portland trailblazers um so some of these teams that are kind of tax out now barnes is maybe good enough that it's like all right uh, how much would it take to really be willing to do that you know would it be okay give me two first round picks and we'll take on bad salary and we'll give you harrison barnes i mean that's probably what it kind of would have to be i think to me you know the one first round pick to take back bad salary i mean for that goes two more years like that one first round pick probably isn't enough just to do that but then maybe you can sell it i don't think any of those teams want to give up two first round picks though nobody does that well what i'm thinking about here's the trade i'm thinking of off the off the cuff barnes for evan turner myers leonard number 24 whatever it is they have and a future first of whatever year they can agree to maybe lottery protected or whatever yeah you know that maybe that's it even that you know you wonder if that's enough or not so 
Yeah, but but Barnes is a pretty good player. I mean, he as a guy who just doesn't have a ton of weaknesses, you know, he, he's got value. You know, not an elite defender, but a guy again who can switch, can guard bigger players in the post. Uh, Wes Matthews is probably more likely, though, to to be traded in a that sort of a conception. And again, as a guy who I think can help. Uh, a winning team what else we got on these guys I, i'm kind of i'm kind of running out of steam is there anything else we need to discuss other than just you know the nuts and bolts a couple quick things so the their draft picks are not only number five 33 and 54 they have as well and the player we haven't mentioned which you and i have been super interested in overall seth curry so seth curry talented player had a lost season due to a stress reaction i believe it was in his left leg stress fracture sorry originally it was a stress reaction became a stress fracture and they have early bird rights on him which should be enough to pay curry so they can just keep his four million on the books and spend off that if they really want to spend that much money they could maybe expiring contracts or however they're going to do it but i like curry with dennis smith more as a kind of rotation piece rather than co-starter i mean sure if the team's not going to be good you can start those guys together no problem but if you have loftier aspirations it gets a little bit hard but i still like steph seth curry I like Steph Curry too. Both of them are good. And Seth is, this will be his age 28 season. So he is a little bit older, a little bit later in this process. So I could imagine him looking for a little bit more stability, whether that's with the Mavericks or someone else. And he's unrestricted. Yeah, I don't know what his market's going to be after not playing at all, having that surgery uh, with the recurring issues in his shin. The other thing we haven't talked about is a potential restricted free agent offer sheet. Don't necessarily see them going the Aaron Gordon or Jabari Parker power forward route. They have been mentioned as a potential Clint Capella suitor. He certainly would fit in extremely well with what they're trying to do. Again, so much of that depends on whether they draft a center or not. I think if you're Houston, you're really hoping that they do. So they're not going to give that big offer sheet to Capella. Uh, and and you know, he would certainly be great for them. You know, great pick and roll partner for Dennis Smith, able to switch. Like, you know, we, we know what Clint Capella's skill set is. Uh, and it wouldn't be the first time that they gave a restricted free agent offer sheet to a Houston Rocket in a critical summer. Any other restricted free agents that come in into mind here? Maybe you know Dante Exum, probably not a great fit with Smith. Oh, I thought you were talking about. I was. I started thinking about their own free yeah. agents. Um, no, I, I think that's about it. I mean, just because of the uncertainty, and this is just such a weak class of restricted wings like Rodney Hood. Ah, sure, you can make an offer on him if there's no market for it. Like you can, you can kind of be bargain hunters there. But I just don't really yeah, see you know, actually, much I mean, that's worth it. Yeah, we'll see what ends up happening with Hood in Cleveland. But you know, he actually would be the type of player that I think you know, Ricardo has been able to get a lot out of. Sure, I would agree with that. You know, maybe a, a, yeah, so a, a Montrez Harrell destination? Yeah, maybe. I mean, when they have Dwight Powell under yeah, contract yeah, they're for kind of at least another guy. year. You know, that, that doesn't matter. Yeah. I think Harrell would be good there. It's just that they don't really need him. And Dallas is another team that I could see. I've mentioned him for a lot of people, and I'm not going to say Travion Graham. But Bielitsa, if he doesn't get his qualifying offer extended, just as a smart guy who can move the ball, you know, he's not Dirk, obviously, but maybe you can have guys who are a little bit more similar at the four. That could be, you know, if if the market's there, yeah. maybe you go after. I him. could also but... see them as uh, the Jokic team. Oh, absolutely. To, I mean, not that the Nuggets wouldn't match, obviously, but just as as a way to. Uh... I could see them as the Jokic team and the Capella team. <laughs> yeah, that would tie up their space uh, for quite a bit, but um, it's using it. Yeah, so and it tells the fan base to try. Well, and so what's the other thing that's weird about Dallas in this is that one of the strengths of the re- the young guy, like the restricted market, is that there aren't top end point guards, but there are kind of like depth point guards. But Dallas doesn't need that at all. You know, like they don't. There's no reason for them to make an offer on Fred VanVleet or you know even taking a flyer on Alfred Payton because. They already have, you know, they they can fill that role through Carlisle's system with minimum guys. I mean, Yogi Ferrell, they have as a restricted free agent. He's fine. You know, he's not as good as FEV, obviously, but the cost is going to be substantially less. Yeah, just uh, getting to their non-guarantees. Dorian Finney-Smith, non-guaranteed for the minimum guarantee date, July 5th. Moxie Kleba, who I think they definitely want to keep on. He actually showed a lot. They had to take him out of the game in some of those tanking games down the end because he was actually playing too well. Guaranteed date of July 15th, I think they would make a lot of sense to keep him around and then they have kyle collinsworth with non-guaranteed until july 6th and then he's a hundred thousand dollars guaranteed until the first day of the season so you imagine they would keep him around there uh, at least until tra- through training camp and 
I guess we should talk about Doug McDermott's restricted free agency uh, along with uh, Yogi Ferrell and Salah Mejri. Yeah, I think those guys are more relevant than Aaron Harrison, who they picked up at the end of the year, but is technically a restricted free agent as well. And with Farrell and Mejri, I think the general rule is going to be see what the market bears out. You give both those guys qualifying offers because it's so low, and then... I assume that no team is going to give them big offers. So you try to figure out a number that makes them happy enough to come back. And Mejri, another guy who it's unfortunate that he's just hitting for agency so old because he came into the league as an older guy. But that's the way it works out. And with McDermott, it's generally the same process. The only difference is that they might need to do kind of a Kelly Olynyk circumstance if they have something better to do with their space then maybe they let McDermott go, not because they want to, but because that other thing is there. But I like McDermott long-term with the team if they can get him at a reasonable price. Yeah, that $9.8 million cap hold, I mean, you know, I'm thinking a 5 or $6 million a year deal for McDermott would be kind of where I'd want to be, where I'd want to pay. Maybe it could be a little bit shorter to enable him to get back on the market one more time in his career. I'm very interested to see where the market is. McDermott played reasonably well after the trade deadline in Dallas, but obviously is very limited defensively and what about yogi ferrell i mean he's probably someone that we maybe you haven't been talking about enough on the restricted free agent market uh, as a backup point guard but still doesn't seem like a guy that teams are necessarily going to be going after and with only two years of experience he is 25 already i mean i think if you're dallas him just taking the qualifying offer is probably an ideal outcome you know maybe you make him a longer term offer of something you know three million a year I, i don't think i would go much beyond that though for where he's at at this point and I think part of the reason we haven't talked about him as much is just because when an, an, a qualifying offer is not prohibitive and a player is below starting caliber, a lot of teams just don't really mess with offer sheets on those type of guys. I think there's actually some low-hanging fruit that they should do more often. I'm not necessarily saying Yogi Ferrell is there just because point guard, there's some actual supply. But those, you know, like three-year, $9 million offer sheets don't really happen that often. No. And Mejri, I think, is someone who, especially if they draft a center, if they do an offer sheet for a center, they probably, I mean, there's no reason not to just give him a qualifying offer, but maybe he's someone who, you know, they might just out of the goodness of their hearts, let him go. And I think he's actually a guy who could help a team as a backup center with his rim protection and uh, finishing around the basket. I like him more as a third center than a second center, yeah. but he can certainly be a part of that mix. All right. Anything that you wanted to t- talk about before we go? Let me see if we have any news here, actually. Well, yeah, let's let's do a yeah. little bit of news just because this is the end of the week. Yeah. So we could start with, I mean, it's a little bit of a formality, but the Sixers picked up Rashawn Holmes' team option. So now like McConnell, they're both non-guaranteed until January 10th. So that's the cutdown date, but they can be traded now. And with the only real reason that you would have to decline either of those options would be if you would rather have them as a restricted free agent this year instead of next year, where they would be unrestricted. So it always made sense to pick up this option and they can just go wherever they want with it because it's still non-guaranteed. They could waive him, they could trade him, they could keep him, whatever really goes there. More from San Antonio as Woj wrote a piece about the Kawhi Leonard situation, uh, but something from there saying that Greg Popovich, few in his orbit, according to Woj, expect him to coach the Spurs beyond the 2020 Summer Olympics and he could even retire as soon as next summer to kind of travel the NBA and the globe and prepare for national team duties. In Toronto, Nick Nurse, not a sizable contract, not even four years. It was three years, and who knows whether there's a team option in that three years, and only $10 million. So that's a pretty low amount for coach, but he is a first-time head coach. I think the three years is interesting. It seems like they've got this team right now. Whether that means they're going to have significant personnel changes or not, I don't know, but it could be that the thought is this team is going to change a lot, and so you know, let's see how you do with this team, and if it doesn't work out and we really change up the roster, you know, we're not tied in for too much money to the head coach. Also reporting out of Toronto indicating that Nurse and Dwayne Casey not on particularly good terms after Casey's firing and rehiring, although Casey certainly landed on his feet wearing some gold-colored slippers in Detroit. What else we got here? Robert Para talked a little bit, and he said that that among other things that quote we'll get another good player in this draft i see no reason why we can't return to being a 50 win plus team and you know owners can talk whatever stuff they want but why this is relevant is because that affects how the directives he gives to management in terms of how they run their offseason and 
you know, that could mean re-signing Tyreek. That could mean a couple other things. I think he's completely not delusional, because insane, because it is possible, but it is not what I would expect from their team by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, and local media was critical of Para for just only giving an interview to their team-owned media arm, Grind City Media, not appearing for any sort of a, a press conference aside from that. You know, obviously they were not asked the hardest-hitting questions in the world. Also, some rumors that maybe number four and Chandler Parsons could be available in trade. That doesn't sound great, again, given where the Grizzlies are. But, I mean, if they could get back a really, really good player, then maybe you could think about that. But it, it doesn't really seem to have much of a point when... You know, they're not going to get back in championship contention. No matter who they get, basically, you might be available. Uh, I think Memphis is getting into this area. I talked about this with Sacramento where it's like, I just have a feeling of doom. It could be wrong. Yeah. I hope it's wrong. But I just, I'm worried about what's coming. Rex Kalamian, who was DeMar DeRozan's workout guy. They're pretty close. He leaves Toronto to go to the Clippers. As an assistant, you recall that Mike Woodson had left the Clippers and Doc Rivers. So... Rex was kind of the defensive guy in Toronto. Apparently didn't want to stay on under Nurse. Nurse will have an interesting job now trying to fill out his staff in Toronto. But Clemian was kind of more the defensive assistant under the defensively oriented Casey. Although ironically enough, they couldn't stop Cleveland. That was their big problem. And uh, that article in, I think it was the Toronto Star, talking about the acrimony between Casey and Nurse also said basically that according to some league sources that nurses offensive suggestions kind of fell on deaf ears there who knows whether to believe that or not but yeah so they've lost a, a lot of their coaches haven't run jerry stackhouse has gone too so they had especially when they were playing well there was all these guys who were really being talked about as like these amazing coaching candidates and now three of those four guys casey Clamian, and stackhouse uh, are no longer in toronto and that's often what happens when you have a coaching vacancy and in-house people are considered is that the other ones just want to change the scenery. Oh, can I, the last piece of news, I just find it interesting because as far as I know, this is a little small piece of history. I believe Derek Jones Jr. became the first player to get a qualifying offer as a two-way player. And so that means, as, as I've interpreted the writing that is out there now, that the only, that the qualifying offer is just for another two-way contract. So right. that's that's not much of a commitment from them but i believe he's the first person ever to get one of those so it's worth noting yeah and he won't be the last ty wallace is one guy to watch <laughs> for sure in uh, in la he'll be getting that but that doesn't that qualifying offer doesn't preclude getting nba level of contract offers necessarily all right anything you want to talk about before we depart here yeah a couple things to plug well first of all i want to plug since you only mentioned on one show the that your your return to writing with the the no defense teams for the athletic i thought oh, i was excited that you did that you did a really good job but also uh real jam radio i released it with chris herring we didn't have a battle plan and we ended up talking about the warriors and what it takes to be a championship contender i really enjoyed the conversations that's out that came out on thursday afternoon and then my offseason previews are still going strong the pistons came out on thursday i believe the Cavs are coming out on friday the warriors will be out soon and then yeah, that's really about it. And yeah, so, and the Lakers will probably be early next week. They'll be the last ones. So lots, lots to do. That's the only one I still have to do a little bit of writing on. And then since this is going to be the last podcast for over the weekend, I'm hoping to have another couple things together. One for Real GM on draft stuff, one for the Athletic Bay Area on kind of warrior stuff. And so we'll see what comes out. Follow me on Twitter for that stuff. All right. Well, everyone have a great weekend. And if you're hurting for podcasts you can go back and hopefully listen to some of our draft ones and off-season previews that you haven't listened yet I actually my pinned tweet has links to all of those uh draft scouting report podcasts talk to you on sunday night thanks again to sonos for sponsoring today's program go to fathersday.sonos.com you get a code for 15 percent off when you create a custom spotify playlist to send to your dad select your favorite artist and the year you were born and then select your dad's favorite artist no matter how embarrassing they may be and the year that he was born and bam spotify will generate the perfect playlist to bridge the generation gap go to fathersday.sonos.com and and again, you can get that crazy 15% off when you create your playlist. That's a much better discount than they usually offer with that special fathersday.sonos.com URL. Playlist generator expires June 17th and terms and conditions apply. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. 
Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.